0: How many of you feel like it's been forever since we've been together? I tell you, uh, I wasn't even here January 1st, so I I don't even know. But I tell you, I sure missed you guys. I know that. Anyway, we're beginning a new series today called Kingdom Culture. And uh, we're going to run this series probably for 11 weeks. And uh, so you'll be good and tired of it by the time we get through with it. But anyway, uh, I tell you, um, uh, the thing that I want to share with you is something that kind of grew out of the pastors meeting this summer. Uh, we were meeting on several occasions to, to pray about putting something before you. And, and really, it began before the summer began. It began at our retreat last year. Uh, we always try to take a retreat in January and just kind of get away for a, uh, about a couple of days and pray and discern what God is doing, what He wants to do through our church family. Uh, we just got back from this year's. And, uh, but last year, there was something that was born in that in which we really wanted to put before you. And and basically, uh, we wanted to not only know why we exist, but also how we exist. I think it's important for us as a church family to not only know why, but how do we practically live out the why. And that's kind of what we're going to be alluding to over these 11 weeks. Basically, it's the idea, what is the filter or litmus test will we use When planning our worship gatherings and planning our overall programming and events and also when doing and supporting missions and ministry, the answer seemed to be found in our church's identity and its culture. Now, let me tell you about churches. They're all different. They're all different. We're about the same command to go ye therefore and present the gospel to all the world, but that's the command that's being given to every church. But as you know, probably from visiting other churches or being a part of other churches, every church is different. And God has called us to be the church He's called us to be. Now, of course, we know that God the Father established the church around the mission of His Son and the work of the Holy Spirit. But how can we make sure we are becoming what He desires us to be? How can we make sure we do not become a church that loses its ability to reach its culture and, in effect, becomes useless? Now, I'm telling you, that's a dangerous place to be. We're called, listen, to engage our culture. How do we know that? Because Jesus said, you're going to be the light and the salt of the earth. Y'all, that has influence. That, That engages. Those two things engage what it comes up against. And that's what he's called us to. Now, let me say this about churches. Doctrinal statements are good. To me, they're necessary. To me, they keep us grounded in good theology. And I think every one of us would agree with that. We, as a church family, we have a doctrinal statement. If you've never seen it, just go on the website, you'll find it there. But there's a doctrinal statement about what we believe about God's word, excuse me. Then there's that whole idea of mission statements. And they're good. They keep us moving towards the vision. Towards the vision that God's called this particular church to be about. But there seemed to be something that we felt as pastors that was missing. And it was that whole idea of cultural statements that keep us interconnected. All three present us with good accountability. And so it's really that whole idea of not only why we exist... But how do we exist? How do we exist interconnected of one another to proclaim what we've been commanded to proclaim to the world? Now look at the series introduction, if you will, there on your outline. And I'm basically just going to read all this. There's no blanks to fill in because I want you to really get this. Because we are a collection of many people from various places, backgrounds, and stories, we believe culture-making is essential for unifying our church family around a shared vision as we carry the message of Jesus to the world. We exist, Jonathan reminded us just a moment ago, to love God, connect with others, and reach the world. By creating a culture where... And this is just one of the 11 that we want to bring before you over these next 11 weeks. Creating a culture where Jesus is our lead story. Y'all, if that's not our lead story, I'm just here to tell you we just need to shut the doors. And matter, matter of fact, if Jesus is not only our lead story, but if we don't present him as the Bible presents him, we still need to shut the doors. And that's something that we feel very strongly about. Look, look there as we continue to read. We believe Jesus is unrivaled in history and eternity. How many of you agree with that? He's unrivaled. There's been no one like him who's ever existed in this world. He is glorious both now and forever, and his name is the only name that saves. Our goal is not to just come to church for a production or service. Our desire is for people to encounter Jesus. We don't want to be identified by anything other than Jesus. So no matter what is going on locally, globally, economically, or politically, no matter what our theme is or what current events are in our church's life, Jesus is our lead story. And we and who we want people remembering during the week once they leave our gatherings. Y'all, that's a good statement. That's what it's got to be about. And if we're about anything other than that, I'll say it again, we'll just need to shut the doors. Because we're not accomplishing what he's called us to accomplish. Now, it brings us to this question. And this video kind of introduced it. How does the culture see Jesus? How does the culture see Jesus? If Jesus is our lead story, if Jesus is really the, the only thing we want people to remember when they come here, how are they already seeing Him before they come here? I think it's important for us to ask that question. I think it's important for us to understand their mentality about the one that we worship, about the one that we believe should be our lead story. So here it is. Many would say He was not born supernaturally. Did you know that not only the world says that, but some churches say that? Does that, does that shock you? How far removed we are becoming as those who identify as the church of Jesus Christ. How about this? Some say that he was not resurrected. Others say he was not God. Others would say he did not come to this world to die for mankind. Then there's others who would go as far to say as that he was a hoax. That he was a cult leader. He was just a victim of religious cruelty. Others would give the benefit of the doubt to say that he was just a good man. Others would say he was a good teacher and we should follow his teachings. Now, let me just say this. All those statements about him are far-reaching. From the cult leader to those who would even dare to say uh, his teachings were good, we should follow him. But did you know all those could be placed on equal footing if they don't agree with how the Bible presents Jesus Christ? All those would be on the same level. Because, y'all, he was more than a good man. He brought more than good teaching that we should follow. He is the Lord. He is Jesus Christ. And we need to understand that. So as you can see, there's a sharp contrast between how our culture sees Jesus and how we see Jesus. The culture attempts to make Jesus insignificant and small where we are presenting Jesus as our lead story and the whole reason we exist. Y'all, there's a sharp contrast between the two. And there should be a sharp contrast between the two. You see, we live and exist in two cultures in sharp contrast of one another. So you know something? We better know what we believe. We better know what we believe. There's some key passages concerning Jesus. I, I, I kind of want to introduce that. That's the way I'm introducing this whole thing this morning. That was just the introduction. Can you imagine what the rest is going to be? No, I'm just kidding. But, 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 but who is Jesus? What does the Bible say about him? Well, if you were to study good theology, you would find out that there are five places in Scripture that gives us a broad perspective of who Jesus is, but, it, but they also give us the full meaning of who Jesus is. So look on your outline. Key passages concerning Jesus. First of all, this is an obvious one. We just came through the season. Luke chapter 1. He was supernaturally born. Let me be so bold to say, you've heard it from me said before. If he was not supernaturally born, then he's not who he says he was. He was supernaturally born. John chapter 1 says, he is God in flesh. He is God in the flesh. Y'all, if you don't believe that, you've missed a lot because he's God in the flesh. He wasn't a created being. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. Philippians chapter 2. He is ruler and judge of the universe. Did you know people don't want to believe that? You know why? Because if you confess that that's true, you can't be your own ruler of your own life if that's true. Hebrews chapters 1 and 2. He is greater than all. He is greater than all. And then our focus today, Colossians 1 and 2, He is Lord and Savior. And let's be so bold to say the one and only. Y'all, I don't know about you, but that's the first time I'd heard that third song today. And that is a beautiful song. It fits so well with this sermon. I mean, they did a great job pulling all this together. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. That's where we're going to focus this morning. Now, as you turn, listen to this. Jesus is who the Bible says he is. He is one of a kind. He's the one and only. Paul's thesis, the whole thing he was trying to prove in the section that we're going to read in Colossians in chapters 1 and 2, his whole theme is to prove that Jesus is who he says he is. That he's the one and only. That there's no one that can stand with him or against him. No one. So here we go. Look on your outline. Jesus, the one and only above creation. These verses that we're getting ready to read teach us that Jesus is above creation. And therefore, the creator of the universe. Now let me say why that's important. Listen to this. This is practically how it plays out in your life. What you believe about where you came from has a lot, has a great deal to do with what you believe about yourself and your destiny. You know why I think a lot of people act like animals? I'm just going to be bold with you here. It's because they to, they're told they came from animals. The Bible, the Bible doesn't even come close to even saying that. I mean, you go and study the creation story. It says one was created after its kind. One was created after after its kind. It's not that one thing started and it began to bleed out into all these other things. It's not even close. So look on your outline. Jesus, the one and only above creation. First of all, we see the image. The one who is the exact representation of God. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, the first part. It says, he, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. That's pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, think about that. The image of the invisible God. Can you imagine the shepherds? You remember we just came through this season. They're out there and the angels appear and they say, hey, let me just tell you about one that's in Bethlehem. You need to check this out. He is the son of the living God. He's the savior of the world. Can you imagine those shepherds walking into that city, saying, "Hey, where's, where's, where's the little uh, ruler of the world?" <laughs> and they looked right there in that manger. You know what they saw? They saw the face of God. When the wise men showed up, eventually, if you got them in your manger scene, do like our family does. Put them on the mantle. Get them away from the manger scene. They weren't there. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. Some of you, are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> He was older, okay? All right, let's move on. I'll shut up. (laughs) Forgot what I was going to say. Oh, when the wise men showed up. When the wise men showed up, you know what they saw? They saw that little two-year-old, probably the age of two. You, You know what they saw? They saw the face of God. They did. You know, when these disciples were called and they began to come one by one to Jesus, you know what they saw? They saw the face of God. When he hung on the cross, you know what they saw? They saw the face of God. Three days later when he showed up, this is an easy one, they saw the face of God. Jesus was the exact representation of God. So look at Hebrews chapter 1 here on the screen. God, who at various times and various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the world. Listen to this who being the brightness of his glory, okay, talking about God the Father, Jesus was the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, of who he is. We were created. Think of this, y'all. We were created in the image of God. Did you know the Bible says that? We were. And it just means a likeness. We were a likeness of it. However, what happened to us? Sin corrupted us. You know that, right? It corrupted us. We were created in the image or the likeness of God. While Jesus, listen, here's the difference, is the image of God. We were created in the likeness of that. Jesus is the image of God. The exact representation. The Greek word for image, for image is icon. Where we get the word icon from. <laughs> Same word. So, so let me give you some things that kind of help you understand this a little bit better. Look here on the screen. The one up there in the corner, what is that a representation of? Nike. That's right. Some of you might be wearing the shoes. I don't know. Over here on the right, what do you have over here? McDonald's. I'll give you a hint if you don't know. Uh, the food's not that healthy. Okay. All right. Uh, let's move on over here. You younger people or some of you who are in the 21st century, what is that one? Facebook, there you go. How about the next one over here? Instagram. Some of you oh, I think, oh, I don't know. Next service, everyone there will know it. Just to make you feel really good, okay? Now, now, let me just say this: What are these? When we see that symbol, that check mark, okay? What do we automatically think of? Warehouse. <laughs> yeah, it's over there too. Nike. We think of Nike because this is a representation. Of the company Nike, okay? It's the same idea. These symbols represent a product. Here's how Jesus said it Jesus represents the God of God the Father. Jesus said this when you see me, you've seen the Father. Exact representation. It's even greater than what these symbols mean, because he was the embodiment of it. You see, Jesus makes the invisible God visible. I want you to look over at Colossians 2. Some of you may not even have to turn the page. Look at verse 9. For in Him, that's Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. How many of you got your mind around that? He's a representation, listen, of God the Father, the work of the Holy Spirit, and Himself. All that, when he walked the face of the earth, was wrapped up in flesh. That blows my mind. And then it says, And you, this is good, are complete in him. You're complete in him. How do you get in him? You come on his terms. You you come to him as he is Lord and Savior. You come to him repenting of your sins and placing your faith in him. And when you do that, He is the embodiment of all that God is doing and all that God is working. You become a part of that process. That is your new identification. Your identification before was in your sin. Now your identification is, listen, in Jesus, who is the bodily Godhead. The whole Godhead rests in Him. You're complete in Him, who is the head of all principalities and power. Now, as we move through this sermon, i got to hurry. Great day, i got to hurry. But anyway... um, (laughs) I want us to practice this, okay? Number one, our cultural values, okay? Number one, what we're trying to create is this. Jesus is our lead story, okay? So every time I say, so therefore, what? That was about as weak as we can get. <laughs> Jesus is our lead story, yeah. Do you go out and tell other people that, like that? Okay, here, here it is. So therefore, he everything rests in him. So therefore. Jesus. Thank you so much. All right, let's move on. Jesus, the one and only above creation, he's the firstborn. The one who is superior, this is important, in position. In position. So look at Colossians chapter one. There's a second part of this verse that said this, says this. He's the firstborn over all creation. Now, something you need to understand. And, and, and the way that it helps you, how many of you realize that the Bible uh, interprets itself? Did you know that? You're over here, you're reading, and you're like, well, that's, that, that's kind of hard to get my mind around. Well, guess what? You can pull other verses in there to give context to, of what the whole Bible's trying to say, about what the whole Bible says about Jesus. And so you bring it all together. So what does this mean? Does it, this does not mean that Jesus is a created being himself. If you look at the context of that, what appears to be in verse 15, it says he's the firstborn over all creation. It almost implies that he was born. But look at the terminology, over all creation. That, that literally means he's outside of the process. So therefore, it means something of prominence. It, it means his position. His position. Now, firstborn, in biblical terminology, means that Jesus is superior in position. So therefore, we're going to get better, I promise. It's going to get better. Here it is. Jesus, the one and only above creation, he's the creator himself, the one who gives life meaning. He's a whole reason there's meaning. Again, what you believe about where you came from will have a great deal to do with what you believe about yourself and your destiny. So look at Colossians chapter 1. Look at verse 16. It says, for by him, Jesus, all things were created. Who does that include? It includes all of us. We're there. That are in heaven, that are on earth, that would be us, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him, and this is big, for him. You know what that literally means, that it was created for him? It gives you the implication he's orchestrating something. He's moving something. Okay, And that's where meaning comes from. That's where meaning comes from. It appears, now I love this, it appears the latest discoveries of science seem to be getting closer to where the Bible is. How many of you just love that? The Bible was written thousands of years ago, it's just standing here. Science is all over the place. It's moving away from the scripture and what it represents. But you know what lately, you know what's lately happening? It's moving towards where the Bible says. You study it. There's more and more. Let me give you an example. Here it is. Scientists each year are finding out more and more about cell structure. Now they tell us that it is mathematically impossible. This is good for human life to come into existence by randomness. <laughs> what did the Bible say? Two thousand, many thousands of years ago, they already, already knew that. So what's science doing? God's word stands forever. What's it doing? It's moving towards the truth. Okay? Here here it is. So, So they're saying it can't be randomness. Now they say it must be rational design, which implies what? A being is orchestrating this. How many of you just get all giggly about it? I mean, it's just good stuff, isn't it? Okay, here it is. The design of the human body is determined by what is called the DNA. We've discussed this before. Your DNA determines, okay, the, the structure of who you are. It determines how long your fingers will be, how big your feet will be, bless your heart, how, what color your eyes will be, and what color your hair is supposed to be. There's a caveat to that as I look around (laughs) to those who have hair. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. I'm I'm developing spots back here, so I'll be with you soon, shortly. Okay, Psalms 139.15 proves this. Here it is. My frame was not hidden from you, God. You, You know what that literally means? I was on God's mind. That's not to lift you up. That's to make you feel like, wow. Wow. Here it is. My frame was not hidden from you, oh God. When I was made in secret, when no one could see what was going on. You knew what was going on. When there was nothing outside there giving any indication that something was really going on. Here's what it it says. You were skillfully, you skillfully wrought me, basically. Let, Let me tell you what those words mean. Wrought means embroidery. It means here it is. This is where science is finally coming around. It means design. It means design. When you design something, there's a rational mind. There's something rational putting it in play. When y'all you ladies do needlepoint, you just kind of sit there and stick the. Let's get a different color. You know what are you doing? You're following a blueprint, or if you're really creative, you know God's pretty creative, right? You can sit there and just kind of design it as you go. That's the same wording here. It's the same same thought process. But it doesn't say just wrought. It says skillfully. And you know what that implies? Intentional purpose. Not randomness. Skillfully wrought. I was designed, listen, with intentional purpose. Intentional purpose. All of us are in that same boat. But who put it all together? The Creator. And as much as we want to sit around and say, oh, it was God the Father and all that, Colossians tells us it's really who? It was Jesus. It was Jesus. This means when you study the complexity of the human cell, listen, you are studying God's needlework. You are not a mistake. You were you created with purpose and for a purpose. Life has no purpose without Jesus. How many of you believe that? So therefore. Okay, that's about 10 of you. Very good. Thank you here we go next jesus the one and only above creation he's the sustainer the one who holds everything together colossians 1 17 says this and jesus is before all things and in him all things consist you get that he's the one that holds it all together this literally means that jesus listen and be careful how you take this jesus is the energy of the universe He's the energy of the universe. I'm not talking Star Wars. Not even close. I'm not talking pantheism. That the the, the creation is God. That's not what I'm saying. But y'all, he's holding it all together. He's holding it all. One day in the future, listen. Everything in the universe, listen, will pass away at his prompting. You, You don't believe me? Look here at this verse. Second Peter 3.10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with ferv- fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it. What's going to happen? They're going to be burned up. He started the process. The Bible also says he's going to do What? He's going to finish the process, which implies what? There's a process in the middle. There's an intentional purpose in the middle. Guess who makes up the middle? We do. We do. With Jesus as a creator and sustainer, life has meaning and history and the future is moving towards his purpose. So therefore, thank you, Willard. I appreciate that. All right. (laughs) Next, Jesus, the one and only over the church. He is the head of the church. Colossians 1, 18 says this. And he is the head of the body. Who's the body? The church. He's the head of it. When a church allows Jesus to be the head, that church is alive. When the church loses contact with the head, that's when it has its problems. That's when it has its problems. I want you to write this down. I don't have time to show it to you. So write down Colossians chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. Go back and study that with this if you go back over your outline. So, here we are. Jesus is the head of the church. So, therefore... Okay, we're getting better. All right, he's the creator of the church. Colossians chapter 1 says, and he is the head of the body, the church. There it is. It's labeling it. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Jesus created the church. Listen, he's prominent. He's a prominent figure in the church. So, therefore... He is also the authority over the church. Colossians chapter 1. Look at the last part of verse 18. That in all things he may have preeminence. Preeminence. Listen, Jesus must be the authority and the brains in the church. He's got to be. He's got to be allowed to lead the church. And how did he choose to do it? He does it through the leadership that he appoints to the church. He brings it all together. Now, let me just say this. Research has been done. I don't know if you realize this. This this kind of blew my mind, but it's true. I've I've looked it up. You can actually, I think you can go online. Someone told me you can actually go online and see this. But did you know that you can literally go and take a frog and you can take out the brain? Oh, it's not that bad. Take out the brain, sew it back up. Did you know that you can put the frog in water and you know what it will still do? Attempt to do what it's always done. Kick and swim. Did you know there's a lot of churches like that? Did you know we could potentially become that kind of church? Where there is no head, there's no one concept, there's no authority, there's nothing in place. And all of a sudden, we just continue to kick and move because that's what we've always done. When there's no purpose behind it, there's no no direction, there's no vision. And we could totally miss what God has for us. You know, there's a lot of churches out there kicking. It really doesn't, they don't know. You, you know where they started messing up? is when they didn't take God's Word as God's Word. That's when it all starts. Many churches in the same position, they're kicking and swimming. They don't know where, where they are going. They don't know who, are, who they are. They don't know their true purpose. Jesus must be allowed to have authority over the church. So therefore man, y'all are getting good. Here we go. Jesus, the one and only on the cross, the plan he laid, reconciliation. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Look at verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in Jesus all the fullness should dwell. There's that statement again. And by him, Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. So here's what it means. When God finished creation, he said it was very good. That means there was satisfaction that meant literally his prized possession. Then sin entered the creation. His mission, God's Father's mission, a turn from being creator to reconciler. Reconciliation literally means to change, listen, from enemy to friend. That's what he did on our behalf. Jesus did that. Next, his death allowed you to be forgiven by a holy God. Ephesians 1, 7 says this. In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Next, his death made you part of God's family. Uh, Ephesians 1, 5. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So here it is. Jesus' death moved us from being an enemy of God to a friend of God. So therefore, Jesus getting better. Jesus is the one and only on the cross. We not only see the plan he laid in reconciliation, but the peace he made in restoration. So look at Colossians 1:20, the second part. It says just one statement, having made peace. You know what that literally means? We went from the object of wrath an object of grace. Next, his death made you right with God. Romans 4 says, Jesus who was delivered up because of our offenses, our sin, and was raised because of our justification. There was a purpose in everything he did. His death, burial, and resurrection brought about the whole idea of restoration. Next, his death satisfied God's wrath against you. 1 John 4.10 In this love, uh, excuse me, in this is love not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son. It's all written in the context of that He loved us first. He made it possible for us to love Him. Did you know that? On um, the terms that He set forth. Because, but that He loved us, sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You know what propitiation means. You've heard it enough from me. Satis- wrath is satisfied. It was placed on Him. God's wrath was satisfied. Therefore, Guess what? We move from an object of wrath to an object of grace. So therefore, Jesus. restoration comes by way of the price he paid, redemption. The price he paid, Colossians 1, through the blood of the cross. From his sacrifice to our deliverance. i got to move quickly. Look here. He died in your place. Did you know that? How many of you are starting to understand now while we're putting at, the very one, at number one, Jesus is our lead story? You getting it now? It's got to be. He died in your place. He, He was made sin for you. Look on your outline. He was made sin for you, 2 Corinthians. For He, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Next, he took on your sin in his body on the cross. Jesus, who who himself bore our sin in his own body on the tree, the cross, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Next, his death purchased your salvation. 1 Peter 1, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold or from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your Father. Do you know there's a lot of people out there that believe they can buy their way into heaven and buy their way into salvation? Do you know that? Do you know there's a lot of people that believe that they can just go by tradition and be that frog just kicking and swimming and doing everything that it used to do and continues to do with no life in it whatsoever, no direction, no purpose. Do you know there's people out there doing that? It's not with traditions, your aimless conduct received by the traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of the Lamb without blemish and without spot. Jesus' death purchased our salvation. So therefore, see, I thought it would really get good as we were moving through this, but anyway, it's getting better. Okay, application. Jesus is why the world exists, why the church was formed, and the only reason why we have salvation. Therefore, he is, the one, he is the only one who deserves our praise and adoration. You do know that, right? During the week, you don't go somewhere else and sing songs to something else other than God, do you? We do here, though. We, we sing to Him. We, we realize He's, he deserves our praise and adoration. Have you been made right with God through Jesus? Our lead story. Our lead story. I want to close with this. Acts chapter 4 says this. Paul is talking to the, uh, to the people. And, uh, excuse me. Peter is talking to the people. And here's what he's saying. Listen to this. Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel. That by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Whom you crucified the religious, whom God raised up from the dead. That means you couldn't keep him down. You may have killed him, but you couldn't keep him down. By him, Peter's saying, this man stands here today whole. I'm complete. I'm everything he desired me to be. I, I'm I'm, I, I'm, living for him. He is my joy. He's everything to me now. Then he goes on and says this. Nor is there nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Our only hope. So therefore, make it big. Jesus. Jesus. Amen. I want to ask the ushers to come forward if they will. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you now. We just thank you so much for. We just thank you for Jesus. And Lord, I think so many times we lose sight of what it all means. And so many times we as a church, we, we could easily be sidetracked. We could easily be a church that just kind of functions and have no purpose and flounders around. And But Father, we're counting on you to, to allow your son to lead us. And Father, we pray that we would be locked stock and in, in tune with you. And not only in tune with you and what we feel that the Spirit is leading us to do. But Father, that we would never remove ourselves from the truth of your word. That we would always stand on your word. That nothing else matters but your word. Father, help us. Father, I pray if there's someone here today that doesn't know you. Maybe they didn't realize all that Jesus did on their behalf by by purchasing their salvation. That Before they leave here today, they'd talk to myself or or another pastor someone about how they can understand, how they can know you as their Lord and Savior. Father, I pray you have your way. Lord, thank you for this offer and pray that you'll use as we continue to do what you call us to do to reach people with the message that we've heard here today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, before they come and and do some.